Hi, this is Tamsin Granger. This is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamsin and Dan, read the paper. Uh, back to Monday. Yes, it's Monday. We slipped. We slipped up. Not much. But we're back. We're here. It's Monday. It's August 16th. Right. And we're on the beam. 2021. Yes, we're on the right year. We got that going for us, yeah. And uh, But we've been busy. That's why, you know, we had to do Monday. Because it's been a chock full week. Correct? Uh, plus, it was too hot to talk. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, that wouldn't stop We us. had yet another heat wave. Yes. But it wasn't bad yesterday. Global warming and all that. Dude, it has nothing to do with global warming. It's, and, it's called uh, a hot day. They've had hot days for hundreds of years in this country. I really? Think it's a hot day. Hundreds? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, but now we're back. Yeah. And, hey, uh... All right, we got to get going here. Today. All right. So what do we do this week? We, we, we did stuff. Well, We've been busy. No, but, we, we tried to stay in the air conditioning part of the time. Mm. So we were watching movies. Yes, we went to a movie. So we went, uh, well, we're going to talk about first about a movie that we didn't go to the movie theater to see, that we just dialed up on the machine there uh, and forked over. Dialed up. And forked over a few dollars to the uh, to Jeff Bezos. To the people. Right. To the man. And uh, we saw Pig. Yeah, so we had talked about the movie Pig. Did we? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because um, I wanted to see it. All right. Nicolas Cage. Right. And it's about a truffle hunting pig well of course it turns out sort it's, of it's, it's not, not about a truffle hunting pig at all uh, although uh, the pig is the first character in the movie you see and it, it gets a lot of screen it's time it's a super cute pig in the first 20 minutes I am not a pig person really and this is a super cute is there endearing thing, pig is there such a thing as a pig person yes people collect pigs people go wild about really? pigs well Nicolas Cage uh, as the uh, main human character is wild about this pig to be sure and he's out there hunting truffles with the pig at the beginning. And then without giving too much away, uh, the pig is uh, stolen. And the, the story of the movie is... the There's a, there's is a, a violent break-in. Right. And Nicolas Cage, what the movie focuses on is the efforts of Nicolas Cage's character to recover the pig. Right. And Another a, quest. A quest. A quest Another movie. quest movie. A quest movie, like The Green Knight. Uh, so what do you think of the movie? I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was super. It was super. That's the word you're looking for. Now let, let's be clear. Not much happens. Oh, no, no. no. Now don't start with the negatives. It was a, a super movie. It was, first of all, it was beautifully shot. Wonderful natural settings, although at a certain point he does get into... In Oregon. Yeah. At, the point, yes. at one point he gets to the city, which they're calling Portland a city for the purpose of this movie, and which is an oppressive uh, visual as compared to the uh, natural surroundings. And he is a fish out of water. Um, but uh, you're, there's not a lot of dialogue. It's a very simple story. It's really a character study of uh, this fellow who Nicolas Cage is playing. It turns out to be a very well-known chef who just left the grid at a certain point and decided to go it on his own. And it's his story and the story of a couple of people he that he encounters. He just drops out of you. It's not that he's going it on his own. Yeah. He drops out. He's off of the, the grid. Scene. I think I use the phrase "off the grid." That's that's what that means. Then, for future reference, off the grid. You said he was going on his own. He's, he was already on his own. Yes. Now he's just off. In any event, so it's uh, it's look. It's hard to describe. Uh, he is a character of few words, of great determination, uh, quiet, um, but. The character deeply feels everything that's going on, and you feel it with that character, and you experience things through his eyes, uh, and you see things in a little bit of a different way. Uh, 
I don't know how much more you can say about this film except to recommend it. I mean, I thought it was super. Yeah, it's really, uh, it's about loss and mourning and finding one's way. Yeah. Yeah. And authenticity, really. Yeah. That's what he prizes more than anything, authenticity, which is another reason he goes off the grid. I Look, I'd be surprised if we see a better movie this year. It could happen. I certainly haven't seen one so far. It's clearly the best movie I've seen this year. Right. Don't you think so? Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of well, it's true. movies. We haven't seen. But we did see another one. Yes. So Not the best. Encouraged by our experience in front of the, the home big screen. No, 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 no. no. This, now, this is another tradition that goes back hundreds of years. Yes, go ahead. When it's hot, you go to the movies. Hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. Because of air conditioning. Yes. In the 1700s, when things got rough. They would go to the movies. The cinema. That's exactly right. The multiplex. Yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, it started in uh, and Roanoke. And it's still happening. Yeah, it's still, <laughs> it's still happening. And that's what we did. We said we got to get out. It was Friday night, and the choices were thin. We knew they were thin. We were eyes wide open. We said this is not going to be a great movie probably, but we went to see Respect, which is the Aretha Franklin movie. And, um, well, what did you think of that? It was rough. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 now, I'm not a pig person, but I am an Aretha person. Yeah, yeah. let me just I mean, say... I think who that's a, doesn't love that music? Yeah, and let's just say that. That's an important point to observe. Because someone would say, well, you're, you're being rough on this movie, uh, Respect, because you're just not, you know, you're not the audience, because you're not Aretha Franklin fans. No, you don't go to this movie unless you're an Aretha Franklin fan, and we are Aretha Franklin fans. So we're there. And uh, so we are reachable. Can I just say that you dragged me kicking and screaming? Did I? Because I'm never happy with the jukebox musical. Okay. Yes. Which is what I call this. When right. you have other people singing the hits yeah. of someone you love. Okay. Right. I did I didn't like it on Broadway. I I just think uh, it doesn't it's never quite as good as yeah. the real person and why are we listening to this? Uh, because there's never any plot, there's never a good story, and uh, you know, you know, the music is not quite satisfying. I'm, you know, I appreciate Jennifer Hudson who plays Aretha, right. and she did an excellent job yeah. uh, with what she was given, yeah. and she has a beautiful voice, right. but uh, she's not Aretha. And there was a little clip of Aretha at the end, the real Aretha, even in her old age. Yeah. Brings tears to your eyes. Yeah. The beauty of that music, that voice, right. that musicianship—you know everything about it. It's funny because you're feeling absolutely, she puts in. You're it. absolutely right. The way the movie was, the main character, of course, Jennifer Hudson playing Aretha. Arguably, uh, the second character is her uh, producer, played by Mark Maron. And you could easily build the movie as you know the Aretha Franklin story with uh, you know Jennifer Hudson playing Jennifer Hudson and Mark Maron playing Mark Maron. I mean, that, that's kind of what's going on. They're impressive in their own way, but it doesn't cohere in any way uh, in the story. And what you're t- talking about is exactly right. And some of the reviewers commented on it, although they didn't see it exactly your way, but I agree with you. You watch it throughout, and believe me, throughout an important word, because as many of the critics noted, the movie is, quote, bloated. Uh, and if you make it to the end, um, suddenly, for no apparent reason, they decide to put it in a clip from, I guess, the Kennedy Center Awards for Carol King, in which uh, various people are honoring Carol King. 
by singing a song and Aretha was singing, uh, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. So it goes seamlessly to that and suddenly you see this woman who you don't recognize who looks like she's in her 80s and frankly she wasn't that old but she had a hard life. And, but the, the, the voice wasn't diminished. And it's, it's kind of, it's an amazing performance. Uh, much more interesting than the previous two hours on the screen. So, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, look, some people like the movie. I think we have to live with that. We have to uh, acknowledge that. Uh, I think they're just being nice. I the think Rotten they're just Tomatoes liking the movie out of respect yeah. for Aretha. Yeah. Aretha had, if you read about her life, yeah. it was extremely harsh, challenging. Yeah. Um, she... It's a tough thing to make a story out of. Yeah. It, it just boggles the imagination. Well, it, it, but it's like um, any film is going to be... It's not just a matter of touching the right basis. It's a matter of making a, a film which is a compelling uh, creative artistic work. And that's where this movie you know, gets an F. I mean, well, I just think it was a really hard project. I think you have to... Uh, yeah, yes. How do you take all these uh, great um, difficulties that she had... Uh, yeah, and well, let's see. present it uh, in a way that still—I don't know—makes you love her. Uh, I mean, it, it's not that it made me dislike her. It's just it, the way the movie proceeded. It yes. was hard to well, it was engage with her. It was hard well, to. I thought about the same question you're thinking about. Yeah, which is, are there other movies that have been successful um, doing this kind of project? And the one movie, one movie came to mind was uh, Walk the Line, the movie about Johnny Cash with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, which was a very good movie and a much better movie than this, if you mm-hmm. recall that. Um, and obviously Joaquin Phoenix isn't the musical uh, talent Jennifer Hudson is, and yet he really registered much more in that role than Jennifer Hudson does here. But the other one that really registers with me, resonates with me, I should say, is Coal Miner's Daughter. And you'll recall that from years ago with a Sissy Spacek playing Loretta Lynn. Uh, and that was a brilliant movie. But perhaps it's easier because not everybody knows Loretta Lynn as much as they do Aretha Franklin. I don't know. But that, that was just a whole different type of project. Completely different. With this movie, uh, I, what? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just, I, and those stories are just uh, happy fairy tales compared to yeah, that could be. the story they're telling. Well, with this movie, uh, got, how to tell Aretha's story, I don't know. All right. But well, this but, movie got compared to by some critics was there was a movie that was a parody of this type of movie which was called uh, Walk Hard with John Riley playing a faux rock star mm-hmm. and it was just had, it was made 18 years ago or so and it just it was a parody just one cliche after another of that type of movie and several critics did say that's what this movie is that's what the respect movie is it's one cliche after another uh, I don't know I feel like they were trying to avoid the cliches well they didn't succeed and they just made a mess of it okay so in any event, we don't recommend that. Now, the, uh, there was one other movie coming up which is somewhat controversial, at least in France. It's a movie uh, based on the clueless hero of the series called OSS 117, movies which we happen upon as introduced by Granger, I think. Yes. Um, which are, uh, talk about spoofs. It's kind of James Bond spoofs. There were a couple made. This would be the third um, and the first ones came out like 10 years ago. Yeah, at least. Right? At least. And, uh, and it starred uh, Jean Dujardin, uh, who I really like. He's a really good actor. He was the star of The Artist. Uh, he was great in that movie. That uh, black you know, and white silent movie. Silent movie. 
But he uh, is, you know, I was kind of looking at this movie, this spoof Bond movie that Granger put on. I said, what has Granger done to us now? And I have to say it was funny uh, in a goofy way. Uh, there's a new movie out. It's, it feels like it's a little out of time. I think that's your point when you say there were at least 10 years ago. Um, well, that's the point of the article. That's the point of the it. article. They say, uh, you know, we could all laugh. This, he, this character that Jean Dujardin plays, the James Bond character, is, um, according to the Times, a cross between James Bond and Archie Bunker. And he just, he's a screw-up with a huge smile on his face no matter what happens, a silly, unknowing smile. And he's uh, xenophobic, he's French in the most narrow-minded way, uh, he's uh, sexist, he's uh, racist. And uh, not afraid he, to talk about he's it. He's anti-Semitic. Yeah, he makes all these remarks. In, in a completely innocent way, in a sense, he doesn't even think twice about it. Uh, and he's a total fish out of water. And if he was a fish out of water 10, 15 years ago, he's really a fish out of water now. So several people in France have decided that what was funny then... Is no longer fun. Well, the new movie is yeah. called OSS 117 Red Alert in Black Africa. Right. All right, so it go, it's going right for the jugular. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, aiming for the, uh, you know, the, the toughest jokes uh, to make funny, I think, racist jokes. Right. Uh, in this day and age. Yeah. So that's bizarre. Yeah, well, but the character, look, I'm not defending it or not. We haven't seen it. But yeah. the truth is, I probably will see it. Because it was funny, and we'll, we'll make our own judgment. But and what the, are people saying in France? I mean, it's come out, hasn't it's it? It's split. Some people say, hey, the, the, the whole... Some people say, yeah, this is too insensitive. You can't do this kind of thing in 2020. But the previous movies, by the way, were 2006 and 2009. And they say, it's just out of time. You can't do it. And other people say, no, no, no. That was the whole point of the movies to begin with. Even in 2006 and 2009, the guy was being played and portrayed as a jerk. Right. And uh, the audience appreciates he's a jerk. And he's such a he's so far out of it, that's what makes it and funny. Theoretically, it's still true. they're supposed to be relating to it a little, too. Look at what jerks we all were yeah. 15 years ago. Yeah, they said you can spoof. In the same way, uh, the Archie Bunker character, what, in, uh, in what was that series again? Um, Archie Bunker's show. Uh, I can't recall, but um, uh, it'll come to me. But the, the point is that you will realize when you're watching Archie Bunker that uh, no one emulated him. He was an idiot. Everything he said was dumb. And it was, you'd laugh a little bit because he didn't realize how dumb it was. And uh, any event, it's a spoof. But apparently sensitivities are such that uh, France's second thoughts. Okay. Well, now to something less controversial. Yeah. Ice cream. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Ice cream wars, actually, big, big, uh, big article in the New York Times yes. uh, on Sunday. The ruthless world of artisanal ice cream. Okay. So of course, you, you know, we should know what artisanal ice cream is, and uh, they largely say artisanal ice cream is ice cream with less air, more fat. Okay. Tastier ice cream. You know, the yeah. ice cream that comes in the small little pints. It costs like 10 bucks. But isn't that like the, the ice cream you buy in Europe? Isn't that the same kind of thing? You mean more like a gelato? Yeah. Uh, um, I, I guess we could okay. say that. But gelato is not necessarily artisanal. Right? Oh, okay. Artisanal sort of brings to mind uh, 
small batch to some extent and uh, interesting flavors, unusual okay. flavors, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but uh, there is a gelato maker that's included in this story. Um, anyway, it turns out it's a ruthless, you know, very tough business. We are saved from that. Yeah. Because we don't buy ice cream. Yeah. I mean, we would we would be in the thick of knowing all this, except that because I bake ice cream, uh, we never buy ice cream except maybe if we're on uh, vacation, mm-hmm. uh, and then we, uh, you know, then we go crazy. But um, so this is a story about everything that's going on in artisanal ice cream, and uh, here's the interesting thing: over the last over the year 2020. Yeah. Sales of artisanal ice cream went up 17%. Yeah. After years of just like plodding along at about 2.4%. Okay. So this is, uh, you know, fabulous. Yeah. And uh, big commercial guys are fascinated. And looking at this as a huge opportunity. And, you know, big businesses have been buying the artisanal brands uh, for the last few years. Nestle. You know, owns Hagendas yeah, and something called Dryers. Uh, Unilever bought Ben and Jerry's and Klondike, and then Talenti. Have you ever seen Talenti? You've seen Talenti in. I think you've even bought me Talenti in okay. in the freezer, and it's kind of a, it's a gelato actually, yeah. and uh, it's got a screw top. Yeah, all right. Uh, again, with the very wonderful flavors. I mean, th- these are all like big business brands now. The whole um, kind of idea exploded. So to kind of show you what's going on, Times wrote a story mainly about a woman named Jennifer Dundas, who is the co-founder of an ice cream business called Blue Marble. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a bunch of ice cream businesses that actually, uh, you know, have uh, kind of failed in the middle of all this excitement that they um, overexpanded. There's one, Ample Hills. Ample Hills uh, had a shop near where Granger Nico lived in Brooklyn. Yeah. And they even bought me the Ample Hills, uh, you know, recipe book for ice cream, et cetera. And they did a huge crash and burn. Uh, 19, they had like $19 million invested in the business and uh, just expanded all over the place and then uh, quickly went out of business. Um, there are some people who say that uh, this is such a dog-eat-dog business. All you're doing, you're constantly trying to raise money to keep competing because you've got to do things like pay for slotting, which is oh, the yeah. amount of space you stores. get in yeah. the freezer right. and so on and so forth. Um, so anyway, Jennifer Dundas was actually a um, an actress, a child movie star. Yeah, I think I remember that name. Okay, yeah. and she played uh, various daughters, people's children, in a bunch of movies, you know, in the 80s, okay? And we might have seen her. She was in a Broadway production of Crimes of the Heart yeah. at Rand- Roundabout yeah. in 2008 mm-hmm. with uh, Sarah Paulson and Lily Rabe, okay. who got big reviews and nobody mentioned Dundas. <laughs> Okay, and she said at that time she's like playing around with making ice cream and feeding it to people backstage and so on. And she says, "Okay, that's it. I'm devoting all my energy yeah. to ice cream yeah. now." 
And she opened a shop 2008 yeah. in Brooklyn, and it was right at a good moment. Okay, right. and uh, you know it's uh, a great success. They have very it's kind of lofty um, ideas about it. You know, no um, breakfast mm-hmm. cereals, stir-ins, and you know stuff like that. Um, so they're they're aiming for a more adult, uh, I think, um, taste. Yeah there etc and uh you know she's doing uh you know she's doing quite well but she says you know it's it's really a fight if she had um uh waited just a couple of years if she had entered the market a few years later uh she said it, it would have been impossible it mm-hmm. just uh things really heated up but she's still that. in it she hasn't dropped she out. is still in it she just uh, she has like uh, two locations three right. locations now she just opened a place on the upper west side but uh, that's turning out to be a real challenge yeah. she said manhattan is not brooklyn she said you won't believe the shoplifting we've had to hire we've had to put up all these cameras wow. and hire a security guard she said people People took stuff in Brooklyn, but it's nothing like Manhattan. Wow. Okay. And, uh, you know, um, I mean, it's an interesting article. It's a long article and details of a bunch of other companies and uh, everything that went wrong. Uh, um, They also mentioned that, you know, oddly, at the same time, she's uh, still getting jobs uh, acting. Okay. Okay. And she recently... In an HBO show called The Looming Tower, um, which is mostly about um, terrorism and like the right. development of terrorism, yeah. um, you know, from way back, I don't know, to uh, up to um, you know present day. Yeah. And uh, guess who she played in uh, this show? I can't guess. Mary Jo White. Oh, you're kidding me. No, <laughs> who um, was uh, actually a partner at your law firm, is a partner at your law firm now, but for right. a while, at that time, she plays a U.S. District Attorney uh, in Manhattan. That's um, funny. So uh, that I thought was funny. I thought you'd want to hear yes. uh, about that. Yeah. Um, well, so, maybe, maybe Mary Jo has ice cream in her future. Maybe that's what that means. Maybe that's, that's what we ought to take from it. Uh, who who did you say was in that uh, that production of Crimes of the Heart with her? It was Lily Raven. Who else? Uh, Sarah Paulson. Oh, Sarah Paulson's very well known. Well, yeah. So, yeah. so that's why you know I just try to remember Lily Raven is uh, Jill Kleberg's daughter and David Rabe's daughter, so she's okay. kind of well known for that too. Yeah. So um, we probably did see that. Well, you know, among other things, first of all, it's a, I can understand why it's a very competitive business because there's money to be made, and everyone says you know it's like the gold rush. But they say nobody's making money. Well, that's what happens yeah, yeah, when you have there's to money keep. To but that's, that, that's what's called the competitive environment. But what that reminds me of, and what we didn't tell people, the reason people steal the pig and pig is that he's a truffle pig. And uh, he can find truffles. And the first part of the movie gives you a little bit about the truffle market, which sounds very much like the ice cream market. Right. It's a lot of people yeah. going crazy yes. trying to grab onto something. So right. it's very reminiscent of what you're talking right. about. Right. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, that's interesting. Of course, I'm always pushing you into the ice cream business, and you just laugh because you make your own ice cream, which is no. fantastic. But it's you've convinced me we're not doing it. But it's not like these people are like in the back room at uh, Blue Marble. 
yeah. you know, making a small batch ice cream to put out. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of these ice creams, uh, they were talking to this guy in Rhode Island mm-hmm. who has an ice cream packing business. Yeah. So he makes the ice cream for these various oh, businesses. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That's it. And so and he was describing, you know, it's all in the chew, he says. Oh, um, And to get the sort of artisanal Mouthfeel. chew, Mouthfeel. you can end up spending twenty to $30,000 a week on milk and cream. Yeah, milk and cream are, part, are important ingredients in ice yeah. cream. That doesn't trouble me. I thought you were going to say something else, like Well, gum. you know, one of the things that's funny is that people kind of uh, sort of, they, were, they kind of weren't expecting ice cream to explode this way yeah. because of the fat content. Oh. But uh, people are feeling that um, they need are it? more um, against sugar at the moment okay, good. than uh, fat. Right. And, uh, should be. and of course, fat is a great carrier of flavor. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, I don't think ice cream is probably that bad for you. No. Well, you use, look, I know you use kefir, you use buttermilk, uh, you use a lot of, I'm sure there's fat in those. With, no, yeah, um, with the cream. Right. But I'm just saying, uh, you know, our problem is we sit down and... You eat, know, eat a, ton eat of a it. giant, eat yeah. a salad bowl worth of it. And, uh, you know, I mean, people, when you go to Italy, everybody stops for gelato. But it's a small cup. And, right. every, you know, nobody seems as, uh, you know, as obese over, as we right, right. Americans seem to be. So. Well, okay. Good. Um, and I should say, I, I, I forgot, I just blanked before on uh, Archie Bunker's show. All in the Family, of course, was that show. Um, all right. So here's an interesting article about Giannis. Giannis, um, let me get it right, Antakumpa. Giannis Antakumpa, or as he's often known, the Greek freak, who's uh, the basketball player who's won the MVP, uh, won a couple of MVPs in the last few years in the NBA, um, maybe two out of the last three years, maybe not this year, but of course this year led the Milwaukee Bucks to the championship. Um you know, seven feet tall, named the Greek freak because he seems impossibly long and athletic at seven feet. Uh, And he does amazing things. People can't stop him. Um, Fantastic athlete. Well, apparently there's a book coming out uh, about him. Uh, Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP by Mirren Fader. And um, what they excerpt in the Times is a chapter called Lonely. And they talk about how he came to the NBA. And maybe I, I knew this, or maybe I just should know it, but I'll just mention it. And it's not surprising, uh, and yet it sort of is kind of startling. So here's his background. So his family's Nigerian. They live in uh, Greece. Mm-hmm. Uh, parents were born in Nigeria. Giannis has uh, four brothers, three of them born in Greece. Um, very poor. Uh and they cannot get citizenship. You do not get citizen, citizenship in Greece by, being, by virtue of being born there. Mm-hmm. It's not automatically. Uh, so Giannis, uh, his family really struggles, scraps. He's selling things like uh, watches or something on the street, hawking stuff with his brothers. They really have a hand-to-mouth existence. He gets, uh, he's recognized for his basketball talent and size. Uh, he does well with the Greek team. Uh, but the truth is that still, they still have that life. And it's not until he's 18 years old 
that he is granted citizenship by Greece. And until then, he can't leave the country. You can't leave the country because he's stateless. All right? They grant him citizenship two months before the NBA draft. Word mm-hmm. comes out that he's going to be drafted. He gets drafted by the NBA as the 15th pick in the first round. Okay? He comes to the NBA and he starts playing for Milwaukee. He's one of the youngest players ever to play in the NBA. He's 18 years old. He's playing in the NBA. And he has known nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Except he's lived in this uh, hand-to-mouth existence uh, in Greece as a Nigerian. And th- this, <laughs> this article, so I won't go into terrible detail, but you can imagine what it's like. He is like, talk about a fish out of water. Uh, he is overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, and most of all, first of all, he can't understand the cold weather. He's in Milwaukee. Yeah. And all he has for clothes, all he wears or sweats that are given to him by the Milwaukee Bucks. And they have one of the toughest winters they've ever had in Milwaukee that winter. And he is freezing cold the entire time. He doesn't seem to have a proper footwear almost the entire season. He can't bring himself to get that. He gets a couple pair of jeans because some veteran teammates give him their extra pair of jeans. So that's But they the, must have been paying him something. They were paying him, but he didn't. He it seems he didn't quite understand. He understood the money, but he didn't understand the money because he never had any money. Okay, mm-hmm. and all he was focused. Well, he was focused on a lot of things, but he was very focused on trying to get his family over to the U.S. And a lot of the story is about how tough a process that was. So he's saying, "I've got to get my family to the U.S." He even talks about coming back if he can't get them. They say, "No, no, stay there because that's where the money is." Mm-hmm. Um, and he's saving every dime he has. So much so that when his cable bill comes and someone says, well, it's $20 a month, he cancels it because okay? <laughs> it's $20 a month. Uh, and there are all these stories that are just uh, like that. I mean, he um, he goes to buy a PlayStation and he's, he agonizes over it. It's $400 and he convinces himself to buy it and he buys it. And the next day he returns it. He says, I can't justify the $400 expense. Uh but the, the most remarkable thing is sneakers. The NBA players, um, a lot of them wear a different pair of sneakers every game. Uh, uh, certainly the superstars. And I think a lot of them come close to that, whatever it is. He doesn't get that. He can't get comfortable with that. I mean, this is still a guy who apparently when they had the, the buffets before and after games would stuff his pockets with the food and take it home to the hotel. That's the way he's living his life. Mm-hmm. And they give him a pair of sneakers and he puts it on, he plays the game. They come into the next game. They say, here's another pair of sneakers. They say, this this is perfectly fine. He wears those sneakers until they are threadbare. And someone says, you have to get rid of the sneakers. He goes the entire season wearing two pair of sneakers. Mm-hmm. Right? And he now has 80 pair of sneakers in his closet. And uh, he's saving them for his brothers. <laughs> when they come over. Oh. So... Um, it just you just read this and you realize that some of these fellows, of course, um, are so young, and he's so inexperienced, and he was so poor yeah. that uh, it, you know it was a lot for him just to stick it out. And of course, he was so determined to make it, and uh, he became a player he was. So uh, that was uh, eight years. Did he ago. speak any English when he came? You know, they don't say in this article how much English he spoke, but I wouldn't be surprised if he spoke English. I, so uh, you would have thought they had mentioned it. Because mm-hmm. he had so many other obvious challenges here. But I think he spoke English. But he was just, he was like a stranger in a strange land. Yeah. Okay. So, 
this is sort of a um, uh, ding, ding, ding. Oh, museum update. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, for, um, in this case, Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum is having an exhibition called Titian, Women, Myth, and Power. And Holland Carter, uh, art writer for the uh, New York Times, has written an article titled, Do Classic Paintings Get a Pass? Yeah, you know, I saw that headline, and I couldn't turn away from that article fast enough. So <laughs> I said to myself, really? You're going to worry about this? But you got something out of it, so go ahead. Well, it's... Um, it's... Uh, an exhibition of Titian paintings. At the core of it is a cycle of six monumental oil paintings of mythological scenes that Titian, who died in Venice in 1576, produced late in his career for the Spanish king Philip II. Um, it includes uh, Rape of Europa, Perseus and Andromeda, um, a bunch of others, uh, Adonis, and Venus and Adonis, uh, Danae, uh, etc. And so the question is, all right, so the way um, Holland Carter is describing the rape of Europa is, uh, it is uh, a young woman, a Phoenician princess, is abducted and forcibly impregnated by a god in disguise. He says, this can't help putting us on red alerts today when accusations and verified reports of sexual assault on women appear almost daily in the news. In fact, the whole cycle with its repeated images of gender-based power plays and exposed female flesh invites a hashtag MeToo evaluation and raises doubts about whether any art, however great, can be, consider can be considered exempt from moral moral scrutiny. See, people don't see you smiling as you're reading that. Uh, but go ahead. I mean, I, I don't know what your reaction to I mean, first You of know all, my reaction to that. Is what? Not, you get your, out of your mind. I mean, the, the guy painted it, whatever he painted 100 years ago, it's a painting, it is what it is. I mean, uh, what are you going to, you know, you're going to check into his uh, moral, uh, you know, qualifications at this point and see how the painting, which itself is a painting about fiction or mythology measures up to what we think is a good way to behave in, in 2020? you got to be out of your mind. Yeah, I mean, this is not a guy who's painting to express himself. No. It's his feelings. Exactly. Okay? He's painting. You can talk about Greek mythology yeah. and what those stories might mean. But, of course, first of all, i got to say, yeah. um, you know, you're going to get nowhere uh, telling me that it's immoral to look at paintings of beautiful naked people. Mm -hmm. Okay, the body is beautiful. All right, that uh, I don't see how that is remotely right. controversial. Right. Okay, so there is that, and the, as for Greek mythology, I mean, I mean, people are going through a lot of examination yeah. about mythology, what it means, and you know, et cetera, and so forth. Is it good? Is it bad? Is right. it? You know, this is not. This is not. Uh, a cycle of paintings that we're meant to look at and say, this is how one should behave, all right? This is okay behavior. We are endorsing that. These are not at all. The Greeks right. seem to have, I'm not a scholar. I'm not a, a mythology scholar and mythology enthusiast. Um, but they, if what people 
the way people talk about the mythology uh, that resonates with me is that the Greeks told these stories of the gods to explain the actions of men, meaning right. men and women. Right. Okay. So, of course, in this cycle, it's not just Zeus. It calls Zeus a um, serial abuser. <laughs> Zeus, <laughs> Zeus or Jupiter, I mean... He was, uh, he had very bad behavior in terms of marital fidelity. And it's just fun to listen to Hera, his wife, goes through and the tricks she plays on him as he, you oh, know, goes Wait, around and tries to seduce people. Zeus wasn't a man. Zeus was a god. He was a god, but yeah. they, but, but uh, so uh, he's not they're the telling same species. Sto- right. I, but they're telling stories of him to kind of explain but, the behavior. Uh, maybe. Of, Maybe, but, oh. but but the point is, they might as well. It's like a cartoon character. It's like saying there are some Scooby Doo episodes, which you know I didn't understand the twelve-year-olds behaving in that way. You got to be out of your mind. Well, I guess Cotter is trying to say, do, should we be applauding the stories of uh, like a rape of Europe? Well, rape in this context is very often used as abduction. It's meant to be abduction, right. um, not you know forcibly impregnated. Uh, that sounds. That doesn't sound right, no matter how you look at it. Hold on. A he second. wasn't trying to have a child. He was trying to doesn't have intercourse. Zeus impregnate uh, objects of his lust in the form of a bull at some point. Well, this the yes the the rape of Europa. He um, Europa and who is a Phoenician princess, right. as we know from Holly, Holly Carter, and some friends are frolicking by the shore. Right. In, in, you know, there are many versions of all these stories. Yeah. And uh, Zeus has his eye on her. Right. And because Zeus can never appear to humans right. in his god form, right. you know, we know that from the story of Simile, that you, you will right. burst if you look on a god. Right. Um, he appears to Europa and her girlfriends as a beautiful white bull. Right. Now, in Greek culture, there is no greater sort of chick magnet than a bull. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Okay? What I'm saying is... And so the girls gather around, they're delighted, and uh, somehow or another, um, uh, Zeus, as the bull, swoops into the water, heads into the deep sea with Europa on his back. But I'm looking at the painting. There's a bull in the painting. Is that Zeus? Yes, that's so, Zeus. So the rape is, is by Zeus in the form of a bull? Yeah. And we're I, yeah. Making, and I'm we're, not going to try to explain the no, uh, biology of that. Don't. But my point is, so we're critically evaluating how the bull behaves? Is that what's yes. happening? Yes. <laughs> you yes. got to be happy. Yes. And um, the, the, also the way he describes the painting, I, I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily describe... Uh, Everything that's going on in the painting the same way he would. But, I mean, keep in mind that, uh, I mean, they do, it it all works out. She gives birth to Uh, King Minos, you know, 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 and he he takes her to Crete. Right, uh, I I got it. But but, that's not the point of the article. The article is, do we, should we worry about this? The answer is no. So that's why. But the stories are worth telling and hearing and trying to understand. But the article should be treated the way I treated it, which is you just turn the page and you say, yeah. I, like we have real things to worry about. This is like let's let's think of some crazy things we might worry about if we have absolutely nothing to think about. Let me just let me just tell one more story okay. before we leave this. Yes, because he doesn't even one of the stories is about um, Diana uh, and her follower Callisto. Yeah. Okay, and uh, she uh, Callisto is a nymph or a you know 
a young woman. It's, right. not, it's not terribly clear, but she's one of the followers of Diana. Yeah. You know, Diana right. is uh, the, the, yeah. the the huntress, right. and she's Excuse the me. twin sister of Apollo. Okay. Okay, and she's you know a virgin, and all of her that, followers need I'll, to be take virgins. Yeah. Okay. okay. So lo and behold, one day when they're out for a swim, yeah. uh, Diana realizes that Callisto is pregnant, right. and she's furious. Right. Okay. And uh, she uh, bans her uh, from the group. Yeah. All right. And why is she pregnant? Because Zeus has seduced her. Yeah. How did he seduce her? You tell me. By taking the form of Diana or Artemis. All right. So that is now we're getting into deep water here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So this raises all kinds of interesting discussions right. about uh, gender and uh, etc et and so forth yeah. that are actually worth having. Uh, meanwhile, Hera finds out about this. Right. Um, Listen, and, I know you, uh, you love to talk about mythology, honey, but the, the point is that this The point is, is not, these stories, yeah. um, to some extent, reflect a lot about real life. Yeah. It's worth telling the stories, talking about the stories, arguing about the stories, and uh, it's the art that uh, keeps them alive. All right. Well, let me move this along because we're probably going to have to cut this short at some point. Um, I will just quickly cover, uh, there's an article about, uh, it's called Rebranding the Miners. There is a, there are a lot of cute minor league team logos out there, right? We ran into this with the new For baseball. For baseball. Yes. yes, the new Britain Rockettes we saw, and uh, which always sounds like the Rockettes. Yeah, not to me. So then the Rock Cats, uh, okay. which sadly were uh, that team moved to uh, Hartford, and now they're the Hartford Yard Goats, which has their own creative mascot. Well, it turns out there's a whole bunch of these mascots in minor league teams, as described here. Uh, there are cute animals making angry, intimidating grimaces. In three quarters profile. Uh, they also say many of the mascots could seemingly be characters from the same cartoon universe, and that is because they are from the same cartoon universe. They're all made by the same company, a company called Brandios, and uh, they have caught on uh, in a big way uh, in places such as Richmond, where, as you noted before, has the Richmond Flying Squirrels, there's the Amarillo Sod Poodles. The Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. Wait a minute. The Sod Poodles. Sod Poodles? Yeah, the Sod, P-O-O-D-L-E-S. What is a Sod Poodle? I don't know. I can't be responsible for that. The Akron Rubber Ducks, I know what that is, and the El Paso Chihuahuas. And the Spearhead uh, article, uh, the thing that gets the article going, is the story of the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Which oh, the Trash Pandas, yeah. You're familiar with that? Yeah. All right. Well, they're big in Madison, Alabama. But here's where I, why it matters. Other than the fact that they're cute and compelling and the kids like them, uh, they're money machines. Mm-hmm. So uh, minor league baseball, not known for bringing a lot of cash, especially last year they were closed. Uh, the Rocket City Trash Pandas logo created for the Madison team $4 million in merchandise sales before the season began. All right? That's unbelievable money for minor mm-hmm. league baseball so these guys know what they're doing at brandios and uh you know i'm all for anything that keeps these franchises going 
Uh, and, you know, they're cute mascots, and, uh, you know, you can see. Uh, I know. So this is another in a series of, uh, you know, how to add entertainment to baseball. Right. To make some money. The kids love it. Yeah. Right. Well, it only works in the but minor where leagues. Where are the true lovers of baseball? It's, it's, it's where are they? The Mets are like nothing. Beside, in this room. Uh, that's the place. Looking we're, across we're, the we're, mic we're, to me. Uh, all expanse. right. So we we got to zoom along No, here. you don't have to zoom along because I'm going to drop some things. Just do what you're doing. Uh, yeah. I'm just going to say, I didn't even want to uh, talk about this article so much as tell people to read it. This is an article in the New York Times. You need to read it online. Go to the New York Times online, and it's an article by Jason Farrago, and it's called A Madonna Who Shows the Beauty in Going Overboard. Okay? A Madonna Who Shows the Beauty in Going Overboard. And it's uh, he, he actually does a very good job with modern technology of taking uh, you through a very strange painting of the Madonna and uh, baby Jesus. Mm -hmm. And uh, was painted by Parmigiano in uh, 1540. Was never quite finished. It was still in his studio. Oh, I think I saw this. Is this the one with the elongated neck? Or is this yeah, the where ba basically baby Jesus looks um, like he's dead. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in any case, it's, it's quite strange. And it's a, um, and in the article, uh, Farago tries to explain the painting to you, and I think he does a good job of that, and tries to explain the style of the painting, which follows the, right. the uh, height of the Renaissance with, uh, you know, da Vinci, uh, Michelangelo, right. uh, and Raphael. And the style that was the reaction to that called Maniera. Mm -hmm. um, so that's Jason Farago. Okay. Uh, look for that article. And then also, I've wanted another museum update. And this is dedicated to the Museum of the City of New York yes. called Puppets of New York. Oh, great. Now, we've been talking oh, about Oh, I saw puppets. this, too. Oh, I know what's in there. Uh, I know what's in yeah, there. I know what lamb chops. Lamb in chop there. is in there. Yeah. Um, uh, we've been talking about puppets because you have this sort of rule that you don't want to go to movies with puppets. What do you mean I have this rule? And, it's uh, your rule. And yet, your rule. And yet... Um, the Green Knight we, had puppets. Green Knight had puppets. Briefly, and yes. Annette, which sounds like a very weird movie... Yes. Has also puppets. has a puppet. So it, puppets are happening. Oh, God, no. But I, you know, Sherry Lewis was the greatest. There is Apparently, there's some... Uh, they do something with Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop there, which sounds horrific. But, uh, but Lamb Chop was a very compelling character, of course. The greatest. Um, okay. Uh, so I was going to talk, and we'll do it next week, uh, about this fellow, William Lawrence, who uh, reported in what some would say now is a questionable way about the atomic bomb... Uh, during World War II. We'll talk about that next week. Why don't you tell us about uh, Jane Withers? Jane Withers, child star who's gained later fame for TV ads, dies at 95. So I just want to mention Jane Withers because, of course, she was in the uh, Shirley Temple movies and others. and uh, As a child actress. As a child actress, actress or actor, however you want to say it. And uh, she played a brat. She always played a brat. She was this fantastic counterpart to Miss Goody Two-Shoes, right. Shirley Temple. And so, of course, uh, Shirley Temple is a great favorite of my mother. So, uh, you know, I've seen these movies. Yeah. And she had her, you know, she had her own movies as well. But, of course, we all remember her, uh, um, to some extent, for her uh, Josephine the Plumber 
um, ads yeah, during totally the weird. 60s and 70s for you know how to get your sink really clean with Comet. Comet, Comet right. Yeah. yeah. All right. And so... Uh, well, we use Comet. Yeah. Well, we don't. We haven't used Comet no, no, recently. We, growing up, we yes, used everybody used yes. Comet. It was an abrasive cleaner, right? And uh, but there, were a little bit of funny um, in the um, two things that are interesting about her is yeah. one, she actually made money. Okay, yeah. Her parents taught her how to handle money. And her parents did money. not live off of her money, yeah. and she, uh, you know, she really, she's one of the few child stars that made it uh, through with um, with her uh, earnings. And number two, Shirley Temple's mother thought she was a bad influence and wouldn't even let her say good morning or hello to Shirley Temple. He was not; they were not allowed to speak at all. Really? Yeah. Well. She did all right. She did all right. As the Shirley Temple, in fairness to her. She, it's not like she, Shirley Temple crashed and burned by no means. Uh, all right. So there's finally there's a book which, uh, you know, gets a very good review. It's called New Teeth, New Teeth Stories by Simon Rich. And uh, the article in the Times, a book review, Sarah Lyle, uh, she thinks it's just funny. And one of the stories she writes about strikes me as funny. And it might strike you as funny, too. It's the story of... Um, uh, basically, a lot of the stories are written from the point of view of someone who's a, a character in the story who doesn't fully understand what's going on. And in this case, it's a parody of Raymond Chandler's The Big Sleep, which was a great Humphrey Bogart movie, uh, written from the perspective of a toddler who's looking for a lost stuffed unicorn but he can't even figure out how his client, his own baby sister, got into the house. Got that? <laughs> so here's the quote. He says, "Her pa- this is the, the, the detective talking to uh, herself about his, her client. Her past was murky. The detective had heard that she came from the hospital, but there was also a rumor she'd once lived inside mommy's tummy. It didn't add up. Still... A job was a job. (laughs) And the story is called The Big Nap. Uh, And the best part, I'll just read this last bit, is at one point, the toddler, who's the detective, has to talk to the baby to straighten her out. And here's here's the dialogue. Quote, Look, you're just a kid, so I'll spell it out for you, the toddler says to the infant, describing the vast conspiracy that surrounds them like a spider's web. Mom is the big boss around here. She pulls all the strings. The doctor, the dentist, the gymboree instructor, they're all on the take. Everybody answers to her. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. New Teeth. have to read that. New Teeth by Simon Rich. All right. Uh, We had a lot to say this week. Uh, And that's it until next week. All right. This is Hanson Granger. And Dan Abuhoff. See you then.